0: And now I get the privilege to introduce our speaker. But before I do that, a little personal story. Um, I met Kevin Ha two years ago. Um, Picked him up from the train station at Princeton Junction. We got to talking, I was a senior, or entering my senior year. My wife was applying to UCLA, I mentioned that. Kevin's from, from from LA. That's it, that's all we had, conversation. A little relating on UCLA, oh maybe, maybe we'll end up there, maybe not. I didn't think we would, we're in LA. And um, it was, I'm at, on staff with New City Church. Through this encounter that the center helped facilitate. So I just wanna say that I'm so grateful for this community and um, how God has used it in my life, and and beyond, so, um, but without further ado, I forgot to pull up Kevin's bio, but here it is. (laughs) Kevin Ha is the lead pastor of New City Church of LA. He went from being a young urban single out of Cornell Law School to getting married to his wife Grace, having three children, making partner at a prestigious law firm, then giving up law to pursue a master's of divinity at Fuller Seminary and becoming a pastor and church planter. In addition to leading New City, a vibrant and inclusive, multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic church in downtown LA, he leads LA church planting movement. He coaches church planters and teaches urban church planting at Fuller. He's also one of the authors of the book Starting Missional Churches: Life with God in the neighborhood. So join me in welcoming Kevin Ha.
1: For the uh, privilege of speaking at this important conference. I had the privilege, as uh, Daniel mentioned, to come here for a consultation uh, related to direction and vision of the center before it was formed, and so it's amazing to uh, see it in operation and actually tracking towards a vision. Um, so it's wonderful. And in addition, um, I got my new associate pastor out of this gig. So it's been really <laughs> worthwhile uh, venture for me. So I'm, I'm looking to looking forward to what Al Scott's going to do. So little extra side benefits here and there. Um, as Pam mentioned, we were asked to share our sort of theological testimony about the church plant and why church plant and why plant missional churches. So essentially, I'm gonna tell you the story of planting a New City Church and also a little bit about the movement to plant churches in Los Angeles and how they got started. And in so doing, I'm going to insert some reflections on why church plant and why church plant missional churches. So um, that's kind of where I'm going. So, but let me start out with um, how things got started. I, um, I sensed a call into vocational ministry when I was in high school. I had one of those charismatic, supernatural experiences. And, um, and then in college, I had another one. And during college, I actually committed to going into ministry um, in, in one of those dramatic moments. Uh, I grew up Presbyterian in a predominantly Korean church. Uh, and then I uh, had those experiences in a Baptist church. Uh, so, I was interdenominational uh, and um, but then, in the latter part of my college years, I left the faith uh, I had an intellectual struggle, stopped making sense for me. I left the faith. I came back, but by the time I came back, um, it felt like the commitments that I made was made by somebody else, uh, and so Uh, I was debating on whether to go to law school or seminary, and I ended up going to uh, law school. (laughs) Not seminary, law school. (laughs) So, um, you know, law school has a trajectory of its own, and by the time I was done, um, you know, I was was intent on doing my best and trying to make partner, trying to break the glass ceiling and do whatever was... uh, whatever was in that trajectory. Uh, so I moved to Los Angeles to do that. And I started to attend a church called Young nak Celebration Church, which is a Korean-American English-speaking church, it's one of the biggest in the nation. So I started to be involved. I, I served as an elder. I, I, um, and uh, and one of the things that I did was to lead a class called Basic Beliefs. Um, it's basically a three-week class on introduction to the gospel, who is Jesus, why is the Bible reliable. That was basically the three topics, and we, kept, we, we, uh, we ran it in circles. So after the three weeks, we started again, and, and, um, and I had an amazing time of actually sharing the gospel every Sunday uh, with people who were new to church, people who were interested, and I saw people actually put their faith in Jesus and their lives being transformed completely. And, and I was part of this. And I was having so much fun that I started to say to myself, wow, can you like do this full time and get paid for this? <laughs> so um, so you know, a while back ago, I had this sense that God was calling me, but I never had a corresponding desire. I just felt like it would be a huge sacrifice to go into ministry. Um, but as I was leading that class, I, I kept on feeling like, wow, my life would be a sacrifice if I didn't really do what I was really passionate about, which is to share the gospel. Um, I became addicted to, in essence, evangelism. And that form of evangelism that I did on Sundays in that class actually worked. And so, um, so that began a process of discernment with my wife about actually leaving law and entering into vocational ministry. And that's what happened. So when I left, um, you know, I'm a Presbyterian, so I went to seminary because, you know, all pastors have to go to seminary and get an MDiv. I actually didn't see any other way. I thought about coming to Princeton because it was kind of free, I heard. Uh, But... (laughs) (laughs) But... I went to Fuller because I was in LA and I was practicing law part time as I was transitioning out. So, um, and, I, and, and uh, when I finished, uh, I was hired on at Young Knock as the pastor of urban ministries. And one of the things that I did was to lead a ministry called Love LA. Love LA is a skid row parking lot ministry that happened every Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. Kind of like a, a tent revival that happens every Sunday afternoon in the middle of Skid Row, which is a, a highest a neighborhood with the highest con- concentration of homeless people in America, actually. So um, and so we did uh, we did a worship. Um, it's passionate, spirit-filled, amazing ministry. I actually learned how to preach there. That's where I learned how to preach. So to people who are just there, you know. Uh, it's an interesting place to learn. Uh, and, um, but one of the things that I did when I started to serve at Love LA was to figure out who the people were and why they were coming. And there, there were about two to 300 people who came out every Sunday afternoon. Uh, and uh, when I did the survey, I, I found out that most people thought they were coming to church And we actually uh, didn't think of it as church. We thought of it as an outreach ministry to connect people to church. Um, And, um, you know, we we also gave everybody a bag dinner. That's probably one of the reasons some of them came. Um, And, you know, but we had no Bible study. We had no small group. We had no communion, sacraments, baptism. Um, We didn't really have discipleship. We just had a Sunday afternoon powwow uh, That was pretty spirit-filled, but still, something was off about what we were doing. And I started to think, uh, I, I started to feel like we're actually hurting people by doing this, by pulling people out of these local churches and giving them a fake church experience and then making them feel like everything's good. Um, and so I was struggling with this, and one day... Uh, I was sitting in my office right around the same time. I get a call from a stranger. I can tell it's a white guy, because I can tell a white guy <laughs> on the telephone. Uh, but, <laughs> and uh, he calls. Somehow the call gets routed to me. I was, I'm sitting in, the, uh, in my office at Yongnak. And I uh, remember it's a Korean church. And, um, and he says, hey, have you heard about what's going on in downtown LA? There are tens of thousands of new people moving into downtown LA. You guys are a church near downtown L.A., right? So Nak is only like a mile away from downtown L.A. Uh, the Korean-speaking congregation has like 7,000 people. English-speaking congregation had about 1,000. So it's a mega church. So he calls us and goes, what are you guys doing to reach out to all these new people moving into downtown L.A.? And I'm thinking to myself, why is this guy calling a Korean church about how to reach out to a bunch of white people moving into downtown? That that was my mindset at the time. But for some reason, the question he asked resonated with me, and I started to do some research. Um, And what I found out was that there were indeed tens of thousands of people, new people, moving into downtown. What the city council did in 2003 was that they passed what they call... Uh, Adapted, reuse ordinance in which they allowed old commercial buildings to be converted into condominiums and mixed-use buildings. And so there were all these old buildings in downtown that were essentially dead uh, and became part of Skid Row. And suddenly it became, you know, they were able to monetize it by converting into a condominium and everybody decided to do it and downtown was growing like crazy. And so, it was the first time I actually noticed that happening, and uh, by uh, 2005, the population of downtown had actually doubled, and so it was right now, by, uh, so it was around 30,000 at that time, and um, uh, right now it's over 100,000. So you can see how much impact this had had on the neighborhood. So as I was lear- uh, learning about this, I was just fascinated by what was going on in downtown. Um, and one day, going back to the Love LA, uh, Love LA story, one day I was uh, in a uh, meeting with Love LA volunteers. Uh, it was a dinner meeting. There were about 40, 50 people in the room. Uh, I was sharing about the results of the survey that we had done in which we found out uh, some information and then and I, I started to rant. You know, I started to say, you know, maybe what we're doing is really hurting people. Maybe we're, you know, as you can see, I was a, a very encouraging leader. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and in the middle of my rant, I suddenly stopped and heard myself say something that I never thought about until it came out of my mouth. And I said, hey, what if we planted a multi-ethnic, Multi-socioeconomic church in downtown LA, reaching out to both the Skid Row people and these new loft dwellers. And uh, there was absolute silence in the room. And I remember uh, I was silent because I was trying to think about what? what? <laughs> just trying to process what I just heard me say. And um, then after a few seconds, I remember blurting out, yeah, but that would never work. And everybody just sort of laughed, and that was it. But for some reason, every time I share that idea with someone, I started to tear up. Um, Almost every time, I I started to tear up. So I remember my wife, Grace, telling me, you know, I think if we were really a charismatic Christian, we would think that God is speaking to us. (laughs) (laughs) And so we started to... um, we started to pray, uh, pray about that. And, um, and fast forward a few years after that is when um, we actually started to consider church planting. But you know what, I've never actually seen a church plant because I was a Presbyterian. <laughs> uh, I don't know, at that time, I think it's different now, but at that time, I've actually never seen one. I've seen church splits that turned into church plant. You know what we meant for evil, God used it for good. Kind of like what he's, what Joseph said. Uh, but so I've seen church plants result in that way, but I've actually never seen an intentional church plant. And so, uh, so I, I was just trying to figure out how this thing happened. So I was just. Reading, listening to podcasts, whatever I, you know, going to conferences. I I was trying to do everything possible to figure out what church planting was all about. And one of the first things that I found was an article by Tim Keller on why church plant. It had a profound impact on me because it sort of put some language in my vocabulary. Now. I love Tim Keller, but I also don't agree with him and a whole host of things. But I think he has a lot of interesting things to say about church planting. And um, he he talked about um, some of the reasons for church plants. Uh, One is, of course, the biblical mandate of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to make disciples and to baptize, and discipleship... Um, is always done in the context of community, right? In the New Testament, everywhere. Baptism means to incorporate into the church. It was a way to become a part of the church. And the way in which, especially Apostle Paul, went about actually doing the Great Commission is by going to different churches, uh, different cities, and planting churches. So, um, in a way, uh, biblically, planting church was the way in which the apostles carried out the Great Commission. And so, you know, that, that started to kind of play in my mind. Um, and then, but how about now? Do we, why plant church now? We can see that church planting is important when there are no churches, but there are a bunch of churches out there, but why plant now? And this is what, uh, what um, Keller argues. He says that church planting is the best way to reach new demographics and unchurched people. In uh, in that article, he says, the vigorous, continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for, one, the numerical growth of the body of Christ in any city, and two, the continued corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in a city. Nothing else, not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch, growing megachurches, congregational consulting nor church renewal processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. This is an eyebrow-raising statement. But to those who have done any study at all, it's not even controversial. So you know, that, that thought about how church planting is uh, critical to, uh, to really the growth of the body of Christ uh, now Uh, became uh, a key thought. So in in, in order to support that, he actually makes two arguments. One, that new churches best reach new generations, residents, and new people groups. So he says, new congregations empower new people and new people much more quickly and readily than can older churches. Thus, they always have and always will reach them with greater facility than long-established bodies. This means, of course, that church planting is not only for frontier regions or pagan countries that we're trying to see become Christians. Christian countries will have to remain, maintain vigorous, extensive church planting simply to stay Christian. You know, I I think what Pam said about having babies, if you don't have babies, you're going to die out. So, Church if you want to stay uh, influential, um, if, if, if Christianity is important, you've got to keep planting churches. That that started to resonate with me. And then, um, and secondly, he argues that church, new churches best reach unchurched people. Um, if you read that article, he quotes, uh, he cites a few studies, which I really haven't studied, so you should go study it to see if it's true. But anyway i 'm just quoting what he's quoting uh, that uh, he says several denominational studies have shown that new churches get sixty to eighty percent of their members from unchurched people and in my experience at new city church that 's actually true. most of the people who came to New City church when we planted were unchurched at the time but he says older churches, ten or fifteen years older gained eighty to ninety percent of their new people from other churches. And so older, the older the church gets, the more transfer growth that you have, but new churches actually reach unchurched people. And um, so I started to put all these things together and I thought, wow, you know, planting new churches is really one of the most effective evangelistic strategies. If you want to reach more people for Jesus, a church. In fact, that's one of the quotes that Fuller professor, one of the Fuller professors is famous for, and he's a bit weird, so I don't want to say his name. Um, and I remember talk, talking about this at a church planting um, seminar that I went to, uh, and, you know, they were citing these quotes and, you know, this, this idea that planting uh, a new church is the best evangelistic strategy there is, uh, that you can reach more unchurched people through this than anything else you can do. That idea, people, people, people saw that that m- might be true, but we started to talk about why that might be the case. And so there was an interesting discussion. I, I think there were some people were talking about how older churches become more internally focused where as new churches are outwardly focused uh, more missional in that way. Uh, but I, I remember one guy saying, no, 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 I think this answer is really simple, because church planters are more desperate. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah, that might be the case. Uh, and uh, But whatever the reason, um, you know, that appears to be the fact, and one of the things that I encourage the center to do is to see if this research is actually real. Uh, and have somebody actually do it. Is church planning, do church planning actually reach more unchurched people than other endeavors? I, I think that's a really interesting question, but at the time I was convinced that that was true, and, um, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that really uh, compel me to continue to pursue the potential of planting a church in downtown LA. The other thing that Keller actually says, I think is interesting. I wasn't thinking about it at that time, Uh, is that he says church planting is important for the entire body of Christ. He says new churches bring new ideas to the old body. They can be innovative and end up working like the R&D department of the body of Christ. Because you know new churches they're desperate they're trying out new things and they're trying to reach new people so they they're they're much more free to try out new things because you don't have to go through the you you don't have to go through the struggle you can just do it and um, and so in some ways they uh, they create they innovate new ideas um, and they create venturesome leaders for the entire body of christ and New churches often end up being a feeder body to older churches, because after a while, people come to the new church, they're excited about it, they become a Christian, and um, and then later on, they begin to say things like, oh, man, that's, that church down the street has a great facility and a great children's program. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, I won't go into it, because that's my thing. <laughs> I lose a lot of people to great children's program. Uh, in other you know, mega churches. But any, those are some of the things that I hear. And so it does become beneficial to uh, older churches as well. So fast forward a few years, and, um, and I, felt this, I, I felt this continuing call to plant a church in downtown L.A. And, um, but I needed a reality check to see if I was the guy to do it. Um, to, to, was I qualified to plant a church? You know, I wasn't sure if I was qualified because I wasn't sure if I would go to my church, you know, if uh, if I wasn't me, you know? And so I kept on asking you, because I, I'd never been a lead pastor. I'd never been a teaching pastor, uh, but I felt this compelling sense. So, um, so I, I went, in, went to uh, a conference and found out that every church planner should get assessed, meaning get a reality check from an assessment center. So I went to this really comprehensive assessment center, uh, three days battery of tests, you know, application this day, and at the end, um, it, it turned out okay. But I remember after the first full day, um, you know, uh, my wife and I were walking out of the assessment and she just started. She, she just breaks down and cries and, and says, I've never felt so naked in my life. And so they were really looking into our lives in every way and assessing us. And, uh, but it really was helpful because they had no incentive to be nice to us. Uh, and at the end, they were nice to us and affirmed us, gave us a green light. And, uh, in fact, they invited us to church plant with them. They were associated with an organization called Stadia. I never met them before, didn't have any connection with them. They were a non-denominational organization. So I ended up becoming a planter for Stadia, uh, a non-denominational church planning organization. And uh, so I went through a boot camp, you know, training and... uh, um, and embarked on a journey of actually planting a church in downtown L.A. From the beginning, God had called us to be a multi-ethnic, socioeconomic church, reaching out to people in Skid Row and in the lobs. And, you know, th- this is all part of the downtown neighborhood. And um, we had developed a more detailed vision and core values, and, uh, but, the, but the basic thrust of our vision remained the same. Now, this meant that our call was to be a neighborhood church, a huge paradigm shift for me at the time, because only church that I knew of at the time was a Korean-American subculture church. So I, I, I grew up in a Korean-speaking church, uh, but in an English department <laughs> uh, for kids, and then I went to an English-speaking Korean-American church pretty much all my life. And so the way they do ministry is that they, they, they do ministry in a large church, but do ministry to a very specific uh, segment, Korean-American English speakers, uh, in my case. And so to actually do church in a neighborhood and take responsibility for geography was a new idea to me at the time. And because the call was to a church in downtown L.A. that brought people together. So I started to marry the idea of what it means to be church and the vision that I felt like I received. And so, and, and so to me, um, something about the geography, something about being a neighborhood church just felt right. Um, in fact, to me, to be missional meant planting a neighborhood church that proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ and lives out, demonstrates the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, you know, um, I remember thinking about what it meant to be missional in Los Angeles. And here are some contextual points that I came to realize. So number one, that no one church can reach the entire city. You know, Metro LA, is the second largest city in America. More people live there than in 43 states in America. I'm talking about just metro LA, not the city of LA, but the metro LA. And um, so it, it would be the seventh largest state in America. There's no way that one church could reach that city. You know, Sometimes I hear people coming, to Los Angeles to plant a church. And I go, hey, that's great. So what are you going to plant? I'm going to plant in LA.